Hey, we're wrapping up uh, this series today, um, and I thought it'd be a good idea just to kind of go with the spirit of, of uh, the way our, our, our Mark and our worship team has kind of led us. I want us to memorize a psalm together, okay? Uh, this is Psalm 33, 22. We're going to throw up on the screen, and we'll just kind of work through this together, okay? Psalm 33, 22 says, May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Okay, so if you're here in the room with me, if you're in the tandem venue, if you're watching this online, even if you're alone online, feel free. Just write, belt it out, okay? Here we go. Psalm 33, 22, ready? Here we go. May your Okay, that was your church voice. We're going to do it again with a little more umph, okay? Ready? Here we go. May your Good, okay? Now we're going to take it off the screen, and I'm going to say a part of it, and you're going to repeat that, okay? Right? No help from the screen. Ready? Here we go. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord. May your your unfailing love be with us, Lord. Even as we find our hope in you. Okay, and one last time without help from the screen or from me. You guys mumble it together. Ready? May your... Good, good. Now, first service was way better. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. Today, um, today, I want us to talk about hope, okay? And specifically, I want us to talk about the tension that we all face, that we're all faced with at some point, of maintaining hope in what seems to be, at times, a hopelessly broken world. Does anybody need me to give you any current examples of this? Right? Okay. What does it look like to maintain hope in a hopelessly broken world? If, if you've ever placed your hope in something or someone, and that something um, came crashing down, or that someone betrayed you, you know what that tension is. Right? Um, if you stood at the altar and said, until death do me part. And he or she didn't mean until death do me part. They just meant until somebody better comes along. You know the tension. You know the tension of maintaining hope in love, in marriage, in relationships, in other people. You know what that tension feels like to to try and maintain hope in a world that seems hopelessly broken. Um, If you've had a job or an occupation where you were promised something, And you went above and beyond. You didn't just do the bare minimum. You went above and beyond. And that promotion, that raise, that bonus, your your boss, your manager, your your company didn't come through for you, you know the tension. If, if, If you have kids that you had hopes and dreams and wishes for when they were young, they got into the wrong crowd, and they're not anywhere close to where you wanted them to be. You know that tension. If you've ever asked, why try? Why keep going? Why continue to put the energy and the effort and the commitment into this? Because it's not, it's not, it does not do anything for me. It's not giving me anything back. If you've ever said, what's the point of committing? What's the point of investing more energy in this? If you've ever found yourself thinking anything like that, you've bumped into this inevitable tension. Of how do you maintain hope? Why maintain hope 
in a world that seems to be hopelessly broken. That's what I want us to go after today as we wrap up this series. And as we launch into this, I just want to give you um, my working definition for hope. Okay, you're not going to find this in the dictionary. Um, This is a, a definition that I stole from a whole bunch of different people and put it together. Okay, this is our definition of hope today. It's the person or thing in which your expectations are centered. The person or persons or the thing that you're leaning on as you look into the future. It's a relationship, um, it's your profession, it's your family, your ability to connect, your ability to convince, whatever it is. It's the thing or the person you've centered your expectations on. And and hope is a little bit um, like a ladder. I actually thought about bringing a ladder up here and leaning it up against a wall. It's a lot like a ladder that we lean against a wall. We don't consciously do this, but very early on, we, 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 are, we learned or we're taught um, to lean that ladder against our parents or our grandparents or whoever raised us, their willingness, their ability to provide for us and, and to continue to provide for us in the future. We lean it up against our parents. And then as you, as you grow up, you move your ladder from your parents to someone else or uh, maybe to something else, yourself, your ability to do well in school, uh, your ability to marry well. Um, your ability to, to work hard and provide for yourself, whatever that is. All of us, at different stages in life, we make this unconscious decision to lean our ladder onto something that we think will, will, will hold our expectations, will help us maintain our hopes and, and, and our dreams. And it's interesting, as you look around and if you pay attention to this, so many people have discovered in this year in 2020, and because we're not aware we do this, the only time that we really think about what our hope is in is when we're faced with hopeless situations. The the only time that we think about what we hope in is when we feel hopeless or helpless. Helpless is another good word. Felt helpless at all over the last seven months? It's funny. It's the opposite of hope that makes us wonder what our hope is in. It, It causes us to think, well, I thought my hope was in that, but I don't think it's in that anymore. It's the opposite of hope that makes us think about what our hope is in. All all of us, we have a ladder of hope and it's leaning against something or someone. The question is, number one, what's your ladder leaning against? And how do you maintain hope in a world that if you haven't noticed yet, is hopelessly broken? How do you do that? That's what we're gonna go after today. Now, when you open the Bible, And this is what you'd expect the pastor to say. Uh, But when you open the Bible from Old Testament to New Testament, you find that God invites you to lean your ladder of hope against him over and over and over again. So that, that psalm that we just memorized a few minutes ago, may your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope or lean our ladder against you. The Bible says that over and over and over again, which is not surprising. Um, But even if you've read it before, even if you understand it, even if you believe that, um, because you and I live in such a prosperous country, in such a prosperous moment in history, because individualism and personal rights is king in our time, we have a hard time leaning our ladder and putting our hope in the Lord. We're the best in the history of mankind of creating walls to lean our, our ladders against. We, we are the best. We've been told, or maybe we've been taught, that you, know, you just got to get a good education, 
Be presentable, you know, brush your teeth, comb your hair, you know, have the right connections, marry well, save well, stay disciplined, stay away from drugs. If you do everything right, that wall will hold. We're told that there are certain things in this world that you can lean your ladder against that, that are certain. They're sure. And so we put our hopes in things that we can control, things that we can create, things that we've been told that we should put our hope in. And then if you're a follower of Jesus, you go out and you pray some prayers to get some insurance on those walls. Right? It's like, God, would you please help my job to hold? Would you please, you know, bless my marriage, bless my kids, bless my health, bless, 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 because I think I've found a solid place to lean my ladder, and I'd like for you to come and sure it up with a little insurance. And through Scripture, and in fact, you could probably turn to some of the older, wiser people sitting around you and ask them, because they tell you the same thing. Through Scripture, God says to you and me, sounds like a great plan. I just got some bad news for you. You're living in a hopelessly broken world. And you can be really careful and plan and invest and get a great education and marry right, take your kids to church every single week, wear a mask everywhere. But at some point in your life, you'll bump up against the bad news. Nothing, no nothing is sure in this world. We should do all that stuff, right? We should plan, invest, get a good education, stay disciplined. That's all good. But God reminds us, like preemptively reminds us. This is the, the, the scripture we're going to look around, look at today. It's been around for thousands of years. God reminds us over and over again, don't put your hope in those things because they're, they're just not secure enough. So I want to take you through um, some really, really confusing verses today. If you leave today going, that was really confusing, it's not your fault. Okay, Paul just writes this in a really confusing way. Yes, I am blaming Paul. <laughs> he just writes it in a really, really confusing way. Uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 if you want to follow on your Bible or mobile device. Um, the teacher side of me, I just got to say this, the teacher side of me wants to pick through this line by line and all the Greek nuances, um, but you guys would be really confused and upset two and a half hours later when you woke up, so we're not going to do that, okay? But in Romans 8... Paul explains where our hope should be, but more importantly, he explains the futility of, of leaning our hope against anything that has to do with the temporary nature of this world. And fair warning, he starts kind of negative, okay? He starts really negative, but at the end, he comes back around, tells us why it's so important for us to put our hope in the Lord. And I just, I can't think of a more relevant issue. I can't think of a more relevant scripture for us to look at. In, in our current moment in history. So we're going to start in verse 20, but by, I want to tell you what verse 20 means before we read it, okay? Um, in verse 20, Paul goes back to an event that's recorded in the book of Genesis known as the fall of man, okay? This is where sin entered um, the world. And we've talked about this before, but when we think about sin, we usually think about it as an act or, or an incident, like um, what he did was sinful, or what I did today was sinful. We think of it as something you do in a moment in time. And the Bible talks about that. But more often than not, the Bible defines sin as more of a disease that's toxic and fatal. It's toxic and fatal. That when sin entered the world, it came in as this toxic, toxic disease that impacted everything. Relationships, 
um, you know, the relationship between um, man and creation, the animal kingdom, weather patterns, everything. It was all impacted by this disease of sin, and it was fatal, which means everything living eventually dies. Have you noticed this? Like the last time I checked, the mortality rate is still hovering around like 100%. Like everything living dies. And you say, well, that's just, you know, circle of life, Tim. Lion King. Didn't you see the movie? <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's partly, but that's a view. But Genesis records, Jesus affirms, and Paul teaches the reason everything in the world dies is because it's been corrupted. By sin. That's the foundation of Paul's argument that it's always a bad idea to put your hope in or to center your expectations on things that are touched by the toxic, fatal disease called sin. So that's what verse 20 means, okay? So now let's, let's read it and we'll go through this. Paul says this, for the creation was subjected to frustration. I love that phrase. When, when, when you're frustrated, it's because of sin. Do you know that? Like the reason you're so frustrated with people who don't view COVID the way you view it or politicians or politics or, you know, your health, you're frustrated by your health, you're frustrated by your kids, teenagers, you're frustrated by your parents. You know why that is? Paul says, welcome to planet Earth where everything, all of creation, and that includes you and I, all of creation is frustrated by this, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, that, that God subjected creation to frustration. Why? In hope, there's our word, in, our, in hope that the creation itself will be, future tense, liberated from its bondage to decay. You should underline that phrase, highlight that phrase. I, I use this phrase often at home whenever you know, we see things on the news or we, talk, we hear somebody getting sick and my wife gets so annoyed that I use it over and over and over again. But, but, but you know, we reach a certain age, come on, where you look in the mirror and you go, what happened? <laughs> right? You know what happened? Bondage to decay. You say, that's so frustrating. What's wrong with me? Nothing. You're just over 35. That's what happens. <laughs> over 35. You're in bondage to decay. Your body's in bondage to decay. Your health is. Your wealth is. Everything eventually has the smell of decay because creation is in bondage to decay. And again, because we're Americans living in the 21st century, we think, by golly, I'm not going to decay. I'm, I'm going to take my probiotic and eat right and exercise. I'm going to be careful. If I have to, I'll have a surgery, right? Go for it. Eat right, exercise, take your vitamins, work hard, do all that stuff. But at the end of the day, we're all in bondage to decay. Hey, did you know in 2018, Billy Graham died? What? All the good that he did? Hey, back in 1997, Mother Teresa died. That body that housed the most compassionate soul, like intimidatingly pure soul, died. 
I got some bad news for you. If, if Mother Teresa and Billy Graham couldn't escape, there's no hope for you and me, right? Like, there, aren't there some people that you look at and think they should get a pass <laughs> because of all the good that they do in this world? Because they, they, they make the, the accomplishments they have help so many people. I mean, come on. You, you've had parents or grandparents that well into their 80s, they loved each other so well. They held hands and they kissed. They even talked about sex publicly, which was really kind of gross, but it was kind of sweet at the same time, right? It's so beautiful. And then one of them got Alzheimer's. And it ended terribly. It's not fair. Is it? It's bondage to decay. Like, like, I don't think we need Paul to remind us of this. All you have to do is look around. The whole creation has been subjected to bondage, to decay. You say, Tim, I hope this is going somewhere happy. We'll get to happy in a minute, okay? But here's the thing. Here's the thing. The reason we lean our ladder up against the wrong wall is because we don't believe we're really in bondage to decay. We, 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 we think we can beat the odds. We think we can be careful enough, slick enough, healthy enough. We're going to figure it out because we're Americans. And Paul says, before I get to the good news, you just need to embrace the bad. No, you're not. Nobody beats the odds. Everybody faces decay. Creation, which includes us, is in bondage to decay. And yes, we can have happy birthdays and wonderful marriages and feel your heart about to blow out of your chest when you hold your grandbaby for the first time, right? You can have joy. We can experience joy, absolutely. But the momentum of sin is taking everything towards death, towards decay. And we are in bondage to that kind of frustration. And even in that, even in that there's like grace all over this chapter. In, in verses 22 and 23, um, it, Paul says that that tension creates in us a longing for something better. And, and, and sometimes we long for it so much, he says we just groan on the inside. It's a tension that makes us think there's got to be more. There's got to be a world where, where there is happily ever after. A world where bodies don't break down and decay. He points out that the frustration we see all around us forces us to look outside of us for something better. I love what C.S. Lewis says. I've used this often. He says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. That, 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 that's basically what Paul says in verses 22 and 23. The frustration the decay that we come face to face with because of sin, this toxic fatal disease, causes us to look for, causes us to believe for, causes us to long and groan for something different, something more than that. It goes on in verse 24. He says, for in this hope, the hope that there's more to this life than this life, that we won't always be in bondage to decay. For in this hope, we were saved. This is the good news part. That, that when someone puts their trust in Christ and what he has done on their behalf, they become linked. They, they, they get to center their expectations on that other world, that, 
that that's the kind of hope we have, that when we submit ourselves to Jesus' rule in our lives, and then he gets to the transition point in his argument, if there is something else, if there is something more, a place where sin, sorrow, and death don't exist, what should we do, Paul? He tells us in verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, here it is, we wait for it patiently. You just sang about that, right? I will wait for you. I will wait for you. On your word, I will rely. Not what's happening around me. On your word, I will wait for you. I will wait for you till my soul is satisfied. Paul, Paul says, Christian, you have something to look forward to. You have a day coming in your future that's worth the wait. So don't give up hope. Don't give up hope because your hope is not of this world. Be patient. And then another just douse of grace in verses 26 through 30. I'm going to skip these, but Paul says, God understands your frustration, your disappointment. He understands sometimes that you're just so frustrated. You just want to crawl in bed and not get up. He, he, he understands that so much in those moments that the Spirit prays for you with words that can't be uttered, with words you can't understand, words that, that human minds can't comprehend. If you've, if you've ever been in the pit of despair, you've ever been at rock bottom in terms of hopelessness, there's nothing you can do. You don't know how to think. You can't even pray. Jesus says, my spirit will pray for you. Wow. What a gracious God. Then he turns a corner. Verse 31. Paul says, what then shall we say in response to these things? Paul is speechless, which is some. If God is for us, who or what can be against us? What do you mean God is for us, Paul? How do you know that? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? This is what he's saying. If God was willing to, to sacrifice his own son in order to make a way for you and for me, if God was willing to give Jesus, what else do you think he's willing to give? What more do you think he's willing to give? If he's willing to give that, what more evidence do you need to center your expectations for the future on him. And Paul says, I don't, I don't know what else to say about that. I don't know how to respond to that. If God is for us like that, who can be against us? What can be against us? And then big, big ending in verse 38. If there was a soundtrack to this, this is where the music would swell, right? And remember, this is Paul. This is Paul saying this. Paul, who is shipwrecked and beaten and stoned and left for dead. I mean, he faced the worst that a, a Christian in the first century could face. That's who said these words. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else, which means just fill in the blank. Divorce, isolation, dementia, cancer, 
when is this going to end? Just fill in the blank. Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the what? Love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's saying, look, you, you want to put your hope in something secure? You want to put your hope in something that won't disappoint? Put your hope in something you can go to every single time? Move your ladder. Move your ladder. If you want to maintain hope in a hopelessly broken world, you got to lean your ladder on something that isn't of this world. And Paul's suggestion, I'm just going to go with what Paul says. Paul's suggestion here is that you lean your ladder on what God did for you in the person, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the place that you'll find something sure, secure, something you can center your expectations on. And and to some of you, you hear that and you think, well, does that mean we just hold on for dear life until we die? Nope. No, it means you live out Jesus' values, kingdom values here on this earth. It means you love extravagantly. And even if they don't love you back, you don't lose hope because that's not where your, lo- that's not where your hope was found in the first place. You serve over and over like crazy. And when people don't serve you back, you don't lose hope because that wasn't, their response to you serving them wasn't where you put your hope in the first place. You forgive over and over and over and over and over again. And when they don't forgive or you don't get the benefit of forgiveness, you don't lose hope because you never placed your hope there to begin with. Do you, do you, do you plan? Of course you plan. Do you, do you have ambition? Of course you do. Do you leverage your talents, your skills, and your abilities? Of course you do. Do you build a life with people you love and pursue progress and engage the world around you? Yes, you do all of that. But do you put your hope in hard work? Do you put your hope in those people you build your life with? Do you, do you place your, your eternal hope in ambition or discipline or education? No. Like Jesus, like Paul, like Mother Teresa, like Billy Graham, you use You leverage your God-given talents to accomplish everything you can. But at the end of the day, you say, you live, you believe, you posture yourself in such a way that says, my hope isn't leaning against any of that. Hey, come on. It means you go to bed Tuesday night and you say, God, what a day. It turned out exactly how I wanted it to. He won. But my hope isn't in that. Or you go to bed Tuesday night and you say, God, this could not have gone worse. I'm so frustrated. He did not win. But my hope isn't in him to begin with. Where's your hope, church? What have you leaned your ladder against? May your unfailing, not going anywhere, never going to change, Your unfailing love, love that was demonstrated when he sent his son to die for our sin. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we move our ladder, even as we center our expectations on you. So here's here's the whole enchilada. Ready? 
Whatever it is you've placed your hope in will determine whether you're able to remain hopeful in a world that's hopelessly broken. Where are you leaning your ladder? Where? Whom have you placed your hope in? When you're laying in bed at night, like staring at the ceiling, the only thing you can hear are your thoughts inside of your brain. Who or what have you centered your expectations on? And if they're on anything in this world, it is misplaced hope. And listen, I'm not mad at you. God's not mad at you. He just has something better for you. Because it'll eventually disappoint. And because of where and when we live, we're really good at delaying the consequences of that brokenness. But eventually those walls always, always, always crumble. And the only way to maintain hope in a hopelessly broken world is to lean your hope against the unfailing love of God for you. Love that is not demonstrated by anything that happens in your lifetime. The fact that you never get COVID, the fact that you get a job, get a pregnancy, the fact that, that everything goes well. No, it's not love demonstrated like that. It's love that was demonstrated in a specific moment in history when Jesus allowed himself to be crucified for the sin that holds us in bondage to decay. That is where we find the love of God. That is where we find solid hope. Do you have that kind of hope? Really? Do you have that kind of hope? And it's been the prayer of some of us this week that some of you, maybe for the first time, would, would hear this and move your ladder from whatever it's leaning up against. I don't know. But it would move your ladder to what God has done on your behalf in the person of Jesus, that, that you were born into a world in bondage to decay. Didn't have a choice in the matter. I'm sorry, but it's just the way it is. You and I are in the same boat. It's the bad news. We see it all around us, right? But the good news is, the good news is that Jesus is the remedy for that decay. And if there's ever been something inside of you, maybe you wouldn't say it the way C.S. Lewis said it, but if there's ever been something inside of you that wonders there's got to be more to this world than this world, well, maybe the only logical explanation for that is that you were made for that different world. And so maybe... Maybe you've never heard it. Maybe you've heard it your entire life, but you've never responded. You've never made the heart decision to lean your ladder on what Jesus has done on your behalf. It's, it's a lot like the decision that I made when I sat in this chair. I transferred all of the weight in my life from my legs to this chair. It's a transfer of trust. Have you ever made that transfer, that decision to trust and what Jesus has done on your behalf. And I think today's a great day to do that if you haven't. Or, you know, at the same time, maybe you made that decision a long time ago. You, you leaned your ladder against Jesus. You didn't think of it like that way, but, but you placed your trust in Jesus. But life has caught up to you. You've gotten distracted. Maybe you've moved your ladder. You've placed it up against something else, hope in yourself, hope in money, hope in politics, hope in your ability to be good. And maybe you didn't even realize it until today, but you've moved your ladder. You've centered your hope in something that's gonna decay. And that's one of the reasons you've felt hopeless. It's one of the reasons that you get in these moments of helplessness because your ladder's leaning against the wrong thing. If that's you, today's a good day 
to move your ladder back to Jesus. It's a good day. So we're going to bow our heads in prayer. And I just want to lead you in a prayer if that's you. And it's, it's not a magic prayer. You can change the words. You can pray it in your mind, under your breath. It's, it's, it's not really the prayer that changes anything. It's the heart. It's the intention. It's the motive behind the prayer. But if you've never placed your hope in what Jesus has done on your behalf in history, or maybe you've realized today that you need to move your ladder back to God's unfailing love for you, you just tell him something like this. You tell him, Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking to my heart today. And I've realized I've put my hope in something other than you. And I don't want to do that anymore. So I realize how unsecure it really is. And, and God, I don't necessarily understand it, but I believe you sent your son to die for my sin. The sin that separates me from you. The sin that brings death and decay. And for the rest of my life, I want to trust his death and resurrection. It's what makes it possible for me to be never separated from you. But today, right here, right now, I place my hope in your unfailing love for me by placing my hope in Jesus. Would you show me? Would you teach me? to know what it's like to follow you. Thank you for providing something firm, something secure to lean my hope on in this broken world. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, would you help all of us to find our hope in your unfailing love for us? But God, for those who just prayed that prayer, would you give them a sense that you've heard them, that you're for them? There's nothing that can ever separate them from your love because of the transfer of trust they just made. Father, I pray for the college student, the high school student, who hasn't yet experienced this tension as much in their life yet. Like many of us at, at the point in their lives, they're at their ladder is leaning against the wrong things. Not intentionally, it's just, it's just the way they've grown up. It's just the way they've been taught. God, would you give them the wisdom to move their ladder, to avoid the heartache that comes with leaning against all the wrong things. And that they would be able to say from a very young age, Jesus is my hope. Father, as we all continue to face uncertainty in the weeks, the months, the years that we have left on this world, we're always going to ask that things would get more certain. We'll continue to make ourselves available to be used by you to be, to be a part of the solution to the brokenness. But even if nothing changes, even if it gets more uncertain, our hope will remain in your unfailing love for us because we recognize it's the only thing certain enough to put our hope in. We ask this, we pray this in Jesus' name.